RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 3rd of August. A warm welcome to Wednesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arrived in Taiwan yesterday evening. She will meet with Taiwan's leader Tsai Ing-wen in Taipei, along with other government officials later today. She's the highest-ranking US politician to visit the island while still in office in 25 years. And China has reportedly levied new import bans on more than 100 Taiwanese products in economic retaliation for the visit. Hong Kong's June retail sales slipped 1.2% from a year earlier. Sales eased to 27.7 billion Hong Kong dollars, having decreased a revised 1.6% in May. In volume terms, retail sales fell 4.1% year-on-year in June, compared with an upwardly revised 4.8% decline in May. A government spokesman said that the upcoming disbursement of Phase 2 consumption vouchers would help support retail demand. HSBC announced yesterday it will launch a 40 billion Hong Kong dollar fund to help small and medium enterprises grow higher and digitise. The bank also announced that it would scrap fees and charges on basic banking services, saving customers in Hong Kong up to 200 million Hong Kong dollars a year. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, Pete Sweeney, Asia editor at Reuters Breaking Views, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. And several ways for you to get in touch. If you like, with any questions or comments, you can text 6393-5925, email moneytalk at rthk.hk, post on our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or send us a tweet at Money Talk Radio 3. U.S. stocks fell on Tuesday as Nancy Pelosi's arrival in Taiwan increased tensions between the U.S. and China. The S&P 500 declined 0.7% to 4,091. The Dow dropped 402 points, that's 1.2%, to 32,396. The Nasdaq Composite Index slipped 0.2% to 12,349. Stocks rebounded from their lows after Nancy Pelosi's plane landed safely in Taipei. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index slipped a third of a percent. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.1%. Chinese stocks sank after Beijing promised firm and strong measures in response to Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan yesterday. The Hang Seng Index shed 477 points, or 2.4%, hitting an almost three-month low of 19,689. The tech index slumped 3%. The Shanghai Composite Index sank 2.3% to 3,186. Taiwan's Taiex Index closed 1.6% lower at a two-week low, and the largest company listed in Taipei, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, tumbled 2.4%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 0.4% higher at $100.54 a barrel. Gold is at $1,756 an ounce. 
U.S. Treasury yields jumped after San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said in an interview that the central bank was nowhere near done with its fight to call inflation, which is at a 40-year high. And then after that, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans said he thought a 50 basis point increase at the next meeting in September would be appropriate, but he left the door open to a larger 75 basis point rise, which he said could also be okay. The two-year Treasury yield, which moves with interest rate expectations, jumped by 19 basis points to 3.06%, its biggest daily move since March 2020. The 10-year yield jumped by 16 basis points to 2.75%. And the currency markets have also seen a reaction to Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. The offshore yuan dropped to as low as 6.7954 per US dollar before rebounding to trade currently at 6.775. The Taiwan dollar hit its lowest level since May 2020. The Japanese yen, seen as a haven currency, jumped to a two-month high. It's trading at 133.36. Elsewhere in the currency markets, the euro is at one dollar one and a half cents. Sterling is worth one dollar twenty-one and a half cents, and nine Hong Kong dollars and fifty-three cents. And Bitcoin is unchanged at $23,000. Taking a look around Asia-Pacific stocks this morning, uh, the ASX 200 in Australia is down 0.4%. The K225 in Japan is up three quarters of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea pretty well flat and futures markets pointing to a gain of about 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Eight oh eight and a half. I suspect it's going to be an interesting day. So let's discuss the events of the morning with Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant and our regular Wednesday commentator. Morning to you, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter. And over in our Queensway studio, we have Pete Sweeney, Asia Editor at Reuters Breaking Views. Morning, Pete. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And over in Washington, D.C., as always on a Wednesday, our regular international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning, Barry. Good morning, Peter. Now, U.S. Speaker Nancy, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she's arrived in Taiwan yesterday evening. She's going to meet with Taiwan's leader, Tsai Ing-wen, in Taipei later today. She's the highest-ranking U.S. politician to visit the island while in office in 25 years. And the six-member delegation includes the heads of the House Foreign Affairs and Armed Services Committee. Shortly after landing in Taipei, Ms. Pelosi released a statement saying her visit honours America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy as the world faces a choice between autocracy and democracy. And let me give you some of the reaction to that. The foreign ministry in Beijing condemned the visit as a wrong and serious violation of the One China principle and said it seriously infringes China's sovereignty and territorial integrity and would have a severe impact on US-China relations. And in a statement shortly after her arrival, the ministry said the visit also violated three China-US joint communiques, gravely undermined peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, and said it sent a seriously wrong signal to separatist forces on the island. And uh, the White House National Security spokesperson, John Kirby, said there's no reason for Beijing to turn a potential visit consistent with long-standing U.S. policy into some sort of crisis, and he emphasised the trip wasn't an effort to threaten China or an indicator of a change in the United States' one-China policy regarding Taiwan. 
Barry, let me start with you over um, in the in the US. This is obviously a provocative visit at a sensitive time. Why is Nancy Pelosi doing this and what does she hope to achieve from this visit? Well, I wish I had good answers for both those questions, Peter, and I don't. The, the reality is I can think only of uh, Fleetwood Mac from several decades ago, go your own way. And I think that's exactly what Nancy Pelosi is doing. Uh, I also think that uh, clearly this must have been part of the discussion between President Xi and Biden, which was only a week ago. But as to what she uh, wants to accomplish, I think, uh, look, she's headed for the exit. This is a woman who's 82. And I think that um, this was something she felt uh, needed to be done. I think there's also a factor that uh, her predecessor, once removed or a couple times removed, Newt Gingrich, had been there in 1990, what was it, 1997, 94. So I think she wanted to match that. And uh, she had this Democratic-only delegation on her plane. But as to uh, beyond what you said, I don't think I can go. She wants to build friendship with Taiwan, but she must know this is a provocative and uh, dangerous move. So she's going to, it's quite possible she could be out of power at the end of the midterm elections in November. So is she sort of seeing this as now or never for her to do this visit? Well, that, that would be my guess, but uh, perhaps Pete's got a different perspective. But uh, yeah, I, look, there's a, a lot of Chinese people in San Francisco in her district. She's always been a champion of human rights. So in one sense, I suppose those who know Nancy Pelosi best say, are, why are you surprised? Stuart and Pete, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, I mean, the problem is that um, Beijing has, on the one hand, backed itself into a corner with its um, the, the rhetoric that has come out of Beijing regarding Taiwan. And uh, on the other hand, Nancy Pelosi backed herself into a corner by saying, or by actually going there, so uh, it is inevitable in some respects that um, there, is, there is a clash and a clash of opinions. Part of, part of the other problem, I think, is that China probably doesn't fully understand, um, maybe President Xi Jinping does, but um, China doesn't fully understand that uh, Nancy Pelosi is not controlled by Joe Biden. She goes her own way and she does her own thing. And she, if she was to be told not to do something, almost certainly she would go about it and do it. So I think that's, that's where we've, we've got to in this particular circumstance. Pete, why, why do you think China is so irked about this? Because it could have taken an opposite tack, couldn't it? It could have said, look, this is an 82-year-old woman. She's about to be out of power. She's grandstanding. Just let her go and do a trip, have a nice holiday and get on with it. So they, they could have taken that tack. Why are they so upset about it? Well, I mean, they could have been taking an easier tack on Taiwan for the past decade. And that is not that is not really what a... Yeah, taking a softer pack, tact is not, not really uh, Xi Jinping's modus operandi, I don't think, um, just in general. But, I mean, this is a genuine, genuinely deeply felt, um, whatever people's historical analysis of China's claims to sovereignty over Taiwan are, I mean, it is certainly deeply felt among ordinary Chinese people. Um, there is a, a strong nationalist faction um, that is quite impatient, um, given that China is now strong, that reunification hasn't happened already. Um, a lot of people expect Xi Jinping to deliver that. Um, Xi Jinping right now is very weak at his back, um, and this makes the moment very 
dangerous and more and different. I'm keeping in mind that so the, the American excuse is that this is just you know this isn't even a, 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 a unprecedented. Newt Gingrich visited um, in 1997, um, so what's the big deal? Well, Newt Gingrich visited when you know China was trying to get into the, the World Trade Organization. Um, China was much weaker, um, and relations were much more amicable. Um, right now, uh, the opposite is is true, um, especially militarily. So Pelosi has come in and kind of thrown a match into this. Whatever happens is not going to be her problem, right? She's going to retire or whatever. Um, you know, so the, the blowback is not going to be on her. In the meantime, what is what did people expect Xi Jinping to do about this? Is you know the his his economy is is extremely unstable. The the COVID nineteen was supposed to be defeated and it's not. Um, he's coming up on this big political moment where he is expected to win a third term, right? And then, you know, a senior American politician, you know, following through on a trend established in the Trump administration of warming ties, military visits, stuff like that. Well, like kind of behind closed doors, military contact um, that already has China very nervous. And then this um, at this time. So anybody who expected China to take it easy about this, I think it was just deluding themselves. Mm -hmm. The irony is that like nobody, the whole, the whole thing is just a waste of time because if the, if the United States wanted to send a message that is resolute and it's support of Taiwan, this is totally backfired, right? You had Biden walking away from the, from, from Pelosi's visit in public. And not only is he saying, you know, I disagree with it. He's like trying to foist it off on the military saying the Pentagon thinks it's a bad idea, which signals that the Pentagon is intimidated by the PLA. So any reassurance that the Taiwanese people were supposed to take from this, that China has, that, that the United States has their back, um, I think is, is just hallucinatory at this point. I don't think they would feel safer at all. Is there going to be any um, economic comeback from this? China's already reportedly levied new import bans on more than 100 Taiwanese products. Could there be um, economic disruption from, from this visit? And if so, what, what could it be like? Well, I think that's key, right? Because we've seen what China has done to, say, South Korean companies um, after uh, Seoul put up that, that American air defense system, the theater-based, whatever it's called, um, THAAD. And, um, you know, they basically drove parts of Lottie out of the country, you know, entertainment and music exports are frozen. Um, there's been this huge push by China against Lithuania after it allowed Taiwan to set up a sort of embassy-like thing in Vilnius. So I think, you know, if you're an American or Taiwanese capitalist with operations in China or you export a lot to China, you are reasonably worried that Beijing is going to put a lot of pressure on you. That said, that might not actually happen. I mean, at the current economic moment, keeping in mind that there are a lot of people who are lobbying for decoupling on the on the American side, on the mm -hmm. Taiwanese side as well, like we should just pull out. You saw Stellantis last month just said, you know, there's too much political risk. We're, we're closing up our joint venture and packing our bags. So, you know, if, if she goes overboard and hammering, you know, f American capitalists, that will just increase that argument, which is not in China's interest. Also, like the, China needs a lot of stuff from Taiwan. It needs the high-end chips. Maybe it doesn't need the pineapples and these low-end agricultural <laughs> exports it's buying, but it needs stuff from the U.S. And, and Taiwan at the current moment. So the economic response, and maybe people disagree, might be, might be more restrained than you'd expect, which makes the military response more likely in my view. Stuart and Barry, what do you think yeah, there well, could be economic yeah, I think, consequences? I think Pete's got it right. I don't think the... Um 
I think any U.S. business, but probably any global business, frankly, at the moment, um, who doing stuff in China will be a little bit concerned as to whether they will continue to be allowed to do business in China. Um, and I, it's notable that after the um, telephone call between Joe Biden and Xi Jinping last week, there was no announcement of uh, removal of tariffs and, and things like that. So That's right. And I think that uh, maybe both governments are sort of holding their powder dry until after this visit by Pelosi to Taiwan to see what the outcome will be. Barry, Taiwan... Isn't man it interesting... Sorry, carry on, Barry. I was simply going to say, isn't it interesting that Donald Trump, who we always associated with uh, bluster and uh, often reckless moves, in his time as president, uh, he sent or allowed... His Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, to visit Taiwan, which, you know, no one can remember the name of Alec Azar. It was, you could say, a very low-level visit. And now, under the Biden administration, we've seen quite a, can you call it a dramatic escalation. Mm. I do think the real question is, will China allow... President Xi to have a bilateral meeting in Bali at the G20, assuming that's going to be on and in person in late November, because that was really one of the principal objectives of the talk between the two leaders last week. Taiwan manufactures more than 60% of the world's semiconductors. So if there was disruption to that in, in any way, uh, whether it's because of military action or some sort of blockade or, or whatever, that would presumably have a major impact on big economies all around the world, wouldn't it? Because you know, they need those semiconductors. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. we saw what's Look, happened think... with Russia. I mean, sorry, I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Mary, but just like, I mean, we've seen, you know, that it is possible for these countries to be at loggerheads with each other and also still trading with each other. And that seems to be like kind of the new, the new model, I think. Like we've already seen how interlinked these supply chains are with chips um, and, and what the pandemic did to supply chains. More of that is not in anybody's interest and, and that should be quite clear. Go ahead, Barry, sorry. Yeah, I think this is absolutely correct. Look, the reason that this relationship between China and Taiwan was quiescent for essentially 20 years is because the economic links between the two entities expanded prolifically. I mean, it was really a big trading relationship, and still is. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, is that threatened? I hope not. But uh, what you say, Peter, about Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing industry, that's a big one and one to watch. Okay. Um, Stuart, what about the market reaction? We didn't see any sort of global sell-off, but there was an impact specifically on Taiwanese and Chinese stocks and also in the currency markets as well with the yuan and the Taiwan dollar uh, sort of weakening. Um, is, is, are geopol geopolitics, are they going to become a headwind on this market again, do you think? Well, they have been a headwind for quite a long time, Peter, and continue to be so. It's just um, the wind blew a bit stronger yesterday. And um, I think that's what we're going to have to face for the rest of this week, certainly. I, I think that um, a lot will depend on announcements that may come out of Beijing over the next uh, 24 hours. What else is Beijing going to do, apart from sending a few more aircraft up into the um, Taiwan air zone and um, maybe a few um, ships out into the sea? 
Um, and, and what we have to hope for is that there are no accidents. Mm. I mean, this is the big problem, that when you have so, yes. so much military hardware out there, there is a, there's always the possibility of an accident happening, and if that does, then that could trigger something else, and that's what we don't want to have happen. And if that happened, presumably Taiwanese, Chinese assets, risk assets, will get hurt very, very badly, and maybe then that could easily spread to a global sell-off. I don't think it'll be just Taiwan. It will be the global. Hong Kong, of course, is, is closely linked to all of this. Um, but it'll be regional. It'll be um, China, of course, is already down quite a bit because of this. And um, I, I, I think it'll just be generally very negative for, for, for the short term anyway. If the tensions get worse between the US and China, will that also... Because we're relying, really, aren't we, on a, on a rebound in the Chinese economy to help the global economy. If, if these tensions get worse, is that going to hinder the economic rebound on the mainland? I have, to th I have to say that I think that we are at a, the low point on the tensions and probably, depend, again, depending on what happens in the next 24 or 48 hours, um, probably we will start to see a pick-up in the, in the um, relationship between the U.S. and China um, once this can be cleared out of the system. I mean, it's important to note that, like, China has said that they're... That, I mean, state media and everything, that they... It, they're going to accelerate the timeline of reunification, which is ominous language, and the um, military exercises that are planned for immediately after Pelosi leaves, you know, are going to be intense. Um, so, there, the next forty-eight hours will be interesting, but I mean, it's going to be the next couple of years. I believe that personally, there is a likelihood that China will fundamentally shift its approach um, and start pushing harder on this, mostly because. You know, they're running low on time, I believe. Um, sentiment in Taiwan is, is less and less pre-unification every day. Um, mm. The change in military doctrine um, but driven by Ukraine is, is that, that Taiwan needs to arm itself with, you know, a bunch of, like, turn into a hedgehog. Right now, the Taiwanese military is not particularly well configured to resist a Chinese invasion. They're very reliant on American deterrent. But yeah. if that changes, it, everything becomes harder. So that will keep the, the you know flame under the, the pot, as it were, um, if, if that's what's, what's underway. Peter, I think some of this, I, I mean, I, it's a, the way that I, I look at it anyway. Um, I think Xi Jinping has been doing a bit of grandstanding here, and uh, that's in advance of the party congress in late October, his, re his potential re-election as president. He needs to be seen to be very tough. Once the Congress has finished, once the re-election has occurred, then uh, things can change, and that's what we would have to hope for. Yes, I hope you're right. This is all coming at a bad time, isn't it? Because we've just had all these PMIs out, and they were pretty disappointing from the US, from Europe, um, and China. We saw the ISM uh, PMI slip. All four major European uh, Eurozone economies slipped into contraction. We've seen uh, the, the manufacturing PMI in China uh, slip into contraction. And um, Barry, it does seem like if you re look at those PMIs, uh, the, the global growth slowdown is, is picking up sp uh, speed. Yes, I think to the you're downside. right, Peter. That's, it, it's, it's a global slowdown, and we see it reflected most of all in the equity markets. We, we know that Europe is going to be hit harder than the States. 
and uh, we'll look at the unemployment, employment figures that come out in the States on Friday. That's an important uh, reading because, look, the United States and China probably are performing better than most of the other economies so far in this global downturn. But I would add just a bit of good news. Let's not forget that passing through Istanbul is the first grain ship from Odessa. So that agreement between Ukraine and Russia on getting the grain out of southern Ukraine is so far off to a good start, and that will alleviate the pressure on food prices. Yes, that's a good point, Barry, because they're expecting to have one ship a day leaving the port in Odessa, um, and they've got enough grain for maybe the world's need for the rest of this year um, and and so that is an important aspect it is positive to see that uh, let's hope it stays like that let me ask you about hong kong we had more data from hong kong uh, yesterday retail sales slipped 1.2 percent uh, from a year earlier uh, in volume terms uh, they were down 4.1% year on year. And as we heard earlier in the week, the economy here is in recession, a technical recession anyway. GDP contracted 1.4% year on year in the second quarter. And we've now been in recession twice now in the past three years. What, what do we need to do to try and break this cycle uh, and get out of this? Well, the easiest answer in the world, Peter, that is uh, open the borders. As simple as that? As simple as that. And yep. It is absolutely as simple as that. We have no... Um, the economy has suffered because there has been no tourism. You know, we've had um, next to, you know, 50 million tourists a year. We're coming into Hong Kong up until the, uh, immediately prior to COVID. Now we have none. Um, that impacts the economy massively. And, and, and frankly, Hong Kong has done remarkably well despite all that. Now, there is this plan that the government has of uh, supporting uh, the plan for having the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens um, in November by having a, a, its own big financial conference at the same time. But it's getting very late because we still don't have an opening of borders. We still don't have a removal of the quarantine. And people will be planning now to be traveling if that is what the, they wish to do. Um, we don't know how the rugby teams for the sevens will be treated for quarantine. We don't know how um, the, the, the visitors that they want to uh, attract will be treated for quarantine purposes. Of course, we've had John Lee saying that he's planning to reduce the time of seven days to maybe five days, but quarantine is still quarantine. Mm. And, and we have to basically we just have to remove it because otherwise people will still resist coming here. Pete, very quickly from you because we're running out of time. Is, is that going to be the answer? Um, get the borders open, even if we open the international borders before China? Well, that's a policy that's within reach of this government. So, I mean, they certainly do it. It looks like they're aware of doing it and they need to do it. Um, they're signaling they're going to do it. They're just kind of dribbling in front of the goal. Um, whether it will be enough, I guess, is the question. There are a lot of external forces that are outside of Hong Kong's control. I mean, the hike in interest rates, the, the dollar peg is forcing interest rates to go up. That impacts mortgage payments. Um, you also have weakening trade performance here. So, I mean, there's these other sectors of the economy that are going to take a hit. Um, if if the Chinese economy does not revive of itself, you know, if the U.S. goes into a serious recession, 
um, you know, if this Taiwan thing blows up, there's a lot of potential headwinds. So, I mean, with that in mind, you should certainly do what you can to, to minimize the impact, and that would involve getting rid of some of the policies that are counterproductive and, and at best obsolete at this point. Okay, thank you very much. That's Pete Sweeney, Asia editor at Reuters Breaking Views. You also heard Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take another look around the region's markets in Australia. First of all, the SX200 slipping further into negative territory now down 0.9%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is holding up. It's up about half a percent. Cosby in South Korea up about 0.2%. Futures markets pointing to a gain of about 80 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. We'll have further business and finance updates for you. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, occasional showers and thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavy at times. The thunderstorm warning is in force right now. The maximum temperature is going to be around 31 degrees. And then the outlook is for showers, heavy at times, with thunderstorms in the next couple of days. And then those showers will lessen on Sunday and Monday. The temperature right now is 28 degrees, 83% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Andrew Shirosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Health officials have stressed that the overall fatality rate among COVID patients remains low at 0.7%, despite a rising number of deaths in recent days. 11 COVID patients died yesterday. Lau Ka Hin, a chief manager at the hospital authority, said this reflected an increase in the overall number of cases. In early July, there's only a few cases per day, one to two or two to three. But in the recent one week, we know that there is average five to six deaths per day. Uh, even last Tuesday, there are 10. Today, we have, we have 11. So what is this means? This means there is an increasing number of infections in the community. So there will be an increasing proportion of patients being uh, suffering from critical or serious conditions. Um, some of them may die, uh, uh, unfortunately. Authorities yesterday reported 3,889 new local COVID infections and 234 imported cases. Another 171 COVID patients were admitted to hospital, taking the number of inpatients to 1,536. Six are in intensive care. The government has lowered the minimum age limit for the Sinovac COVID vaccine from three years to six months, as recommended by its advisors. Natalie Ching reports. The authorities say toddlers can receive the same Sinovac dosage as adults. As for BeyondTech, officials say toddlers should get a tenth of the adult dosage, and they are discussing with the drug manufacturer about buying the right dosage for them. The government said in a statement that it's very concerned about serious COVID cases involving toddlers, and officials are trying their best to provide multiple avenues to get jabbed so that they can be protected against the virus as soon as possible. The foreign ministry in Beijing has condemned as a wrong and serious violation of the One China Principle a visit by the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives to Taipei. An aircraft carrying Nancy Pelosi arrived shortly before 11 p.m. In a statement shortly after her arrival, the ministry said the visit also violated three China-U.S. joint communiques, gravely undermined peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, and sent a seriously wrong signal to separatist forces on the island. It said China had made a strong démarche, that's a formal protest through diplomatic channels, to the U.S. side. It said the nation had all along opposed the visit 
by U.S. Congress members to Taiwan and said the executive branch of the U.S. government had a responsibility to stop it. Describing the Taiwan question as the most important and most sensitive issue at the very heart of China-U.S. relations, it warned that U.S. moves to increase exchanges with the island were like playing with fire, adding those who play with fire will perish by it. Finally, police say they've charged a man with doing an act or acts with seditious intent. The 34-year-old will appear in the West Kowloon court today. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Danny Gittings. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. On today's Back Chat, we're talking...